Good morning. I'm not sure how many of you are fans of the Thanksgiving Macy's Day Parade, or Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade. You got it. Uh, our, our family is, is pretty big fans, and we have a tradition that we make a bunch of pancakes and bacon and, and coffee, and we sit and watch the parade, and we watch all the musicians and artists like, lip-sync, and uh, obviously the big giant floats that kind of come by, and we spend time watching that every Thanksgiving morning. Uh, but when we lived in Richmond, Virginia for a while, uh, they had an annual tradition, a Christmas parade that was like the poor man's version of the Macy's Day Parade, and they would have local bands twirl and play songs and local businesses with floats. And then, of course, they had their own version of the giant inflatable balloon things. And in 2010, there was an event at uh, the Richmond Christmas Parade known as the Rudolph Christmas Balloon Tragedy. And if you just Google that, that's what comes up. It's, it's literally called that. And I, I texted Matt that I'm going to uh, talk about the, the Rudolph Christmas balloon tragedy this week. He's like, I have no idea what that is. It's like, it's fine. It's just exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> um, and so in 2010, they, they de- debuted Rudolph as, as the big surprise. But what they didn't estimate was how tall or how big Rudolph was uh, compared to power lines and traffic lights. And so they were taking Rudolph down the road and everything was looking good. We have I think, photos of so this is good. Everyone's pumped. Rudolph is doing his thing, walking by the Children's Museum. And they, they begin to realize they have a problem, and the crowd is yelling at the, at the balloon carriers, don't go that way. But what the balloon carriers heard was, uh, go that way. And so they went this way, and, it, and you can see, like, this game of limbo is not going to work well. Uh, and pretty soon they, they come to the side, and the next picture is Rudolph. Um, let's see if we got it. There we go. Rudolph. Uh, finding that don't turn left sign uh, right, in, right in his head. And then pretty shortly thereafter, Rudolph begins to deflate. It, it happens quickly. And then so the good news is, is, is Rudolph came back the following year and they patched him up to give him a Band-Aid <laughs> on top of his head and they wanted to give it another, another go. Uh, so this is the Rudolph... Christmas balloon tragedy, 2010 in Richmond, Virginia, and I love this story um, because every year afterwards you'd see Rudolph and you'd you know laugh, remember the time that Rudolph got his head busted open. Um, but I love this story or this image because it's a perfect image for what we're going to talk about this morning, and that's pride. And and the word pride in the Old Testament literally means an inflated sense of self, an exaggerated sense of self, and and one of the words. Um, also connotates being hollow on the inside. So something that puffs itself up bigger than it is, but on the inside is actually hollow. And when that gets exposed, it deflates, much like the Rudolph Christmas balloon tragedy. In the Old Testament, in Proverbs especially, there's this this sentiment that said over and over and over again that pride comes before a fall, or pride comes before destruction. And pride is an inflated or an exaggerated sense of self. It means you overestimate your significance, your importance, your morality, like you may think you're better than other people, morally superior, uh, or you, you overestimate your abilities. So pride, much like a balloon, is an inflated sense of self, but on, on the inside you're actually hollow. Pride. Last week we talked about Evagrius Ponticus, who was an early church father or desert father, and Evagrius was the guy that created this kind of spiritual inventory system 
that we know today as the seven deadly sins. Uh, and Evagrius would say that pride is the fundamental or foundational sin from which all other sins flow. This exaggerated sense of self and worth and you know, significance. Uh, so the seven deadly sins are pride, lust, greed, envy, wrath, gluttony, and sloth. And pride plays itself out in all these other sins. And here's what it looks like. When we lust, we objectify another person. We, we put our pleasure and our desire over their personhood. We think that what we want for our own pleasure is more important than who they are as a, as a human. We, we de- dehumanize people in our lust. That's a, it's a form of inflating your own self-worth at the expense of someone else. So when we are greedy, we hoard resources for ourselves at the expense of others. When we are envious, we seek someone else's destruction because they have something that we don't, something that we want. We put our needs above their own. When we harbor wrath, we ruminate on a person's offense towards us while minimizing our contribution in that interaction. We harbor anger as if our life is more important than them and theirs. Gluttony is an inflated appetite to parallel our inflated ego. And sloth is a refusal to live into God's design for us, placing our preferences, our fears, or our laziness over God's calling. So all sin is pride. All sin is an exaggerated sense of self. It just plays out in these different ways. And Evagrius would say this pride is the foundational sin for everything else. And Thomas Aquinas said something similar centuries later. He said, inordinate self-love is the cause of every sin. So pride is an inflated sense of self-importance, significance, morality. And here's what it does to us. When we think we are superior to others, we don't feel the need to help them out. We think they've got themselves into their situation. They can get themselves out. We don't feel the need to help them because we're more important. When we think we are superior, that we've earned everything we have, we don't have the proper place of gratitude for how God or others have have invested in us. We're arrogant. We think we did it all ourselves. When we think we are superior, we don't often have self-reflection on how we have impacted other people negatively. We think it's their fault. We are great. They're not. We don't see how our actions or our words are impacting others. When we overestimate our abilities, we often get in way over our heads and end up being crushed by the weight of our own expectations. That can lead to shame, to burnout, to resentment, to blaming others. And when we inflate our own significance, we justify the poor treatment of others in order to achieve our own dreams and goals because our dreams, our goals are more important and doesn't matter what it costs. Pride blinds us. And the Greek word for pride that's used in the New Testament has this imagery of being surrounded by a mist. I mean, you can't see much further than yourself. You're so self-absorbed that you can't see out of your own atmosphere, your own ecosystem. Everything revolves around you. It's like being blinded to the reality of other people's lives and how things are going for them. You're just focused on what you can get for you. You're blinded by the mist of pride to see beyond yourself. And in that way, pride disconnects us from God, and it disconnects us from other people. And Dallas Willard is a great philosopher and theologian. He says, as our ego swells, our soul shrivels. So pride is an exaggerated sense of self that actually keeps us disconnected from God and from other people. Now, when Evagrius Ponticus created the seven deadly sins, 
he also created like corresponding virtues. And so pride is the foundation of all sin, but the foundation of all virtue is humility. Now, humility, quite simply, is just an accurate sense of self. Uh, if, if pride is an inflated sense of self, humility is not a shriveled sense of self. It's not thinking less of yourself or thinking that you're awful. Humility is an accurate sense of who you are and what you're worth. C.S. Lewis says it like this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. False humility is not humility. It's just another form of pride. When you focus on how unworthy you feel or how terrible things are, if, when, you, when you go, woe is me, there's still an emphasis on me. It's still a form of pride. It's self-centered. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, John Dixon is a professor in Australia. He wrote a book called Humilitas. It's an awesome book on humility and leadership. But he defines humility like this. He says, Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, to use your resources, and to use your influence to help other people. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, to deploy your resources, and to use your influence for the sake of others. What I love about that definition of humility is that it implies that you have value and dignity. It, it implies that you have resources and influence, that you have status. It implies worth. It's just the choice to understand what that worth is, what those skills are, what those resources are, and to choose to use those for the sake of others. So pride is an inflated sense of self. Humility is an accurate sense of self. Now Jesus is considered probably the most, human, the most humble human in the history of the world. That doesn't mean that Jesus was worthless. Humility is not a shriveled self. It does not mean you're worthless. If Jesus was the most humble human ever, it's obvious that he had a ton of value. But Jesus chose to use that value for the sake of other people. And Paul said this in Philippians, Consider Jesus who was equal with God, but he didn't cling to that as some privilege to hold on to for himself. Instead of that, he emptied himself out for the sake of humanity. He poured himself out. And because Jesus has done that, because he's led with, by example of using his resources, his status, his dignity, his value for the sake of other people, because he's led in that way, we should do the same thing. And Paul says, Therefore do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Pride, inflated sense of self, self-absorbing. Humility, accurate sense of self, and using all that you are to, to love and serve other people. So how do we cultivate humility? I have, I have a lot of ideas about what it looks like to cultivate humility, but this morning I'm going to focus on one. Um, and if you don't like this one, just email me and I'll give you some more, okay? Like, I just start with that. But one thing that I come to a few times a year is what I call the Liturgy of the Pale Blue Dot. Now, the Pale Blue Dot is, a, I think it's a book or an essay or a speech given by the astronomer and scientist Carl Sagan. And in 1990, uh, the U.S., I'm going to say the Voyager 1, was sent into space— and when it was sent to go beyond our solar system, but when it was on the edge of our solar system, its camera 
took one last photo of Earth and sent that photo back to us. And that photo is known as the pale blue dot. And here's the photo. And I want you to know, I got the highest resolution photo I could find of this. And it's just that white little speck there in the sunbeam. And so when Carl Sagan, the scientist, saw this picture and reflected on it, he wrote some pretty incredible words that I want to read to us this morning. I think this is a great reflection on who we are and where we fit in the universe. This is a great, in my mind, medicine for humility, or towards humility. Here's what he says. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is no one else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. And there's a few lines in this reflection that I just find really poignant and powerful. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, they are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. This reminds me of David in Psalm 8. David said, God, when I look at the universe and all that you've created, and, and keep in mind that David didn't have access to like the Hubble telescope. Just with his naked eye, he's like, when I look out at the skies at night and see the vastness of the stars, 
when I think about the mountains and valleys and the, and the diversity of geography in Israel that, 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 that I've explored, David, saying this, just what I can see with my naked eye and my own personal experience, when I consider just that, and we know now that that is a fraction of a sliver of all that's out there. And David says, when I examine that, who am I that you would even consider me? That you would even think about me? When I consider the, the vastness of the universe that you've created, God, who am I that you would even consider me? But you have. You've valued me. You have imbued me with your image. You've given me dignity. And, and the verse literally says, you have placed me just right there with the angels. I am treasured and precious in your sight, and this is too high for me to even grasp. And I think there's this great tension with us as followers of Jesus, people that believe in a creator of the universe that loves us. There's this tension that, of course, each of us has dignity and value and beauty. We are imbued with the image of God, the image of Christ in us. We are valuable, but we're also insignificant. And when we look at the picture of the pebble dot, that's a speck in our solar system. And on that little speck, all of our history has existed. And we think about the human race and our, like, our timeline of being on earth. Bill Bryson says it like this. He says, if you looked at the beginning of, of creation until now, and, and, and you looked at that as a, a, a year of time, humans have existed in the way that we know it in the last 30 minutes before the next year started. Our time on earth in relation to the history of the universe is a speck. Earth itself is a speck. The Milky Way galaxy is a speck. And you, I'm, I'm 38, so the history of humans is a few, however many thousands or million, whatever you want to believe, that's fine, doesn't matter. Whatever number you use, my 38 years is a speck. And my geographical influence is a speck within the speck within the speck. Within the speck. It's, I'm, I'm, we're insignificant. And that's okay. <laughs> Not meaning to like trash any of you. <laughs> We're all insignificant together. <laughs> and there's the tension. We have this insignificance. We also have this dignity and this beauty and this value. And that's what the pale blue dot tells us. That's what Psalm 8 tells us. And normally when I use the pale blue dot, I, I, I tend to use it in an angry way. Like, who do you think you are? That you can treat your spouse like that, your kid like that, your coworker like that. Who do you think you are? In the scheme of the history, you are a speck upon a speck upon a speck. Who do you think you are that you can treat others like crap? <laughs> or for us that maybe get overworked in, in, in our careers, like how important do you think you are in your career is that you would neglect family or the people most important to you? Like who do you think you are in, in the cosmic sense of things? We need to value what's in front of us. We need to value people. So normally I would use it in a, a slightly aggressive way. This morning, I want, to, I want to position a little bit way from a compassionate perspective. Who do you think you are? These past two years, or we're coming up on basically two years of COVID right now, right? And I, I kind of joke, these past two years have felt like dog years. Like every year has felt like seven years. It's been like a 14-year craziness right now in the past two years. And I have friends in, I've been in ministry most of my career, so I have friends in ministry all across the country, and they are just exhausted and they're confused, and they're afraid, and they don't know what to do, and they know they need to have this clear vision or this unlimited energy level to kind of bring everybody and rally everyone around to do the thing, but they're just exhausted, and they feel the weight of that, and they feel like a cosmic eternal weight, I guess, because God's involved, 
So that's my field is ministry, but I know friends that are teachers, they're education, stay-at-home parents, people working in the health healthcare industry, all sorts of careers. We're just feeling burnout. The great resignation's happening, so you, you have less people helping you at your job, which means it feels like there's more responsibility on your shoulders. We're just tired and we're exhausted. And what I want to say from an encouraging standpoint is look at the pale blue dot. And and like the weight of the weight of the world isn't on your shoulders. You can put it down. You can take a deep breath and relax because you're a speck upon a speck upon a speck upon a speck. And I have this like I had this cliche, maybe cheesy line or idea uh, a couple of days ago when I was kind of driving and thinking about this that like no no person in this room can change the world, but we can impact the world around us. We can we can have an influence on the relationships that are that are close to us and directly related to us. Odds are pretty strong that no one in this room is going to change the world. But you can have an impact in the world around you. Humility is an accurate sense of self, of your strengths, of your limitations, what you have to offer others. And humility is understanding that and then choosing to use those things for the sake of other people. I want to close with a thought from, from Jesus. And, and I'll, I'll read this passage from Matthew, and then we'll pray. Jesus says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Let's pray.